Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Psalm 31.5 Welcome to the Into Your Hand podcast with Brendan and Wesley. Today we are discussing the Sabbath School Bible Study for January 2nd, 2021. This quarter is entitled Isaiah. This week's lesson is Crisis of Identity. The memory verse this week is Isaiah 118. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. A special thank you to Fountain View Academy for giving us permission to share their music ministry with you. Links to Fountain View Academy are in the description. God bless you all.
Between the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day and your guidance and blessings. Lord, be with this lesson as we begin a new quarter. May you be honored and glorified. Be with our listeners. Be with us as we grow in Christ. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we lay our hearts and our minds in your hands. And may you purify us of sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's good to gather again this wonderful day. Our lesson today is Crisis of Identity, and just to repeat the memory verse, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And just like you said, Wesley, that God wants to purify us of sin. We hear so much these days in so many sermons about the wonderful forgiveness of God, and that is truly an amazing thing, how we've been justified by faith. But the longing in my heart, and I hope in all Christians' hearts, is that purification, that he who started a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And those sins that have stained our life as scarlet are purified as white snow as pure wool, that we are without them, that we can stand upright and say, because of Jesus Christ in my life and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I now stand righteous, not of myself, but because of his indwelling and the work that he's done with me to purify me. God wants a remnant. He wants those that are set aside for him. He wants us to belong to him and to follow him. The people of Israel were called to that same thing, but through their journeys, they got lost in a land of forgetfulness. At the bottom of Sabbath's lesson, it says from Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3, Israel does not know my people do not understand. One of the reasons we do these lesson studies is to really awaken in the spirit of each listener, a desire to dive deep into the scriptures and read them each week, not for them to be set aside to the last moment, but to go through them day by day. And the brief commentary that we provide hopefully gives some insight into the Bible verses and some examples. There are many wonderful studies on the internet, and we link to those in our description. So take the time, listen to Come and Reason, listen to Hope Sabbath School, listen to 3ABN. All of these provide some wonderful insight into the Bible verses, good commentary. So really take the time. It's a great way to set yourself aside in the morning or in the evening, whatever your schedule may be, and study the Word of God and hear what other people think and believe about the Bible verses. So Wesley actually is starting a new 
section to the Into Your Hand online ministry, and it's a study in history. So he's going back almost 100 years to back to 1928 and studying Isaiah. So look for that on your podcast service or on YouTube and see how it was different studying the lesson nearly 100 years ago. That should be some interesting insights there. So right at the bottom of Sabbath's lesson, it says, God's work is to restore his people to himself. That's what he wants. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And he's coming soon. If you've watched the news in the last year, you know that the world is in turmoil. A lot of stuff is happening right now. Everything's being shaken up. Some people are even referring to it as the Great Reset. And not for a good thing. Not in a good way. So stay strong in your faith. Grow each day with Christ. And know that God's coming again. Let us prepare the way. Do you have a Bible verse to share with us for Sunday's lesson, Wesley? Uh, Yes, I will read that. I want to completely agree that what the Sabbath school lesson says and what you're saying, that God wants to work, God's work to restore his people to himself uh, spiritually is the whole point. And you know, it's it's a beautiful thing to have our lives cleansed and to grow and obtain that amazing relationship with Christ and with God and to become one with him as uh, Jesus prayed. Amen. For Sunday's lesson, it requests that we read uh, Isaiah 1, 1 to 9. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons, I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again? As you continue in your rebellion, the whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. This is very troubling reading that the people of Israel who had the oracles of truth were so close to Sodom and Gomorrah and they were sick from the tips of their toes to the top of their head they're sick and I'm sure if you walked through Jerusalem it would seem as though people were healthy and eating vegetables the sickness had to be as it says iniquity corrupt they were full of sin 
And that is the same situation we have today. We're full of sin. And as in the days of Isaiah, we require a change, a new direction, a healing balm, the balm of Gilead to restore our souls to Christ and to not only to get forgiveness, but to get sanctification. Amen. Um, And how close they were to Sodom and Gomorrah. How close are we to Sodom and Gomorrah today? Absolutely. Uh, Christ is coming soon. And in the last days, we know it's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And as in the days of Noah, people are only consumed with themselves and they're full of fear and insecurities. And they we require the peace and the security of the love of God in our hearts, in our souls, going step by step with the Lord. Yes. All around us, we can see signs that the what love that existed in the hearts of men is really waxing cold. In other places, we see the remnant shine, but there are so many disturbing stories you can hear on the news. Just this morning, I read a sad account of an 82-year-old man who was uh, diagnosed with COVID, and uh, he was in his hospital bed praying. And a 37-year-old man that was in the same room in another bed got up, and because he was annoyed with the elderly man praying, he killed him in his bed because of the praying. This is just one example, but the world is filled with sin, and God wants to be the cure, not only for our physical ailments, but for the evil that surrounds and permeates our souls. He wants us white as snow. He wants us as pure wool, and he's able to finish that good work that he started. Isaiah started his message with these words, Hear, O heaven, and listen, O earth. In comparison to the pagan emperors who invoked their gods, he called all of heaven and all of earth. And this points back to creation. Isaiah knew that God was the creator of all things, everything on earth, everything in the heavens. They were all true witnesses to the magnificence and purity and holiness of God. He calls us as well to be witnesses. God wants us to witness for him. Let's move ahead to Monday's lesson. Monday is uh, Rotten Ritualism. It tells us to read Isaiah 1, 10 to 17. Isaiah 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me? says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moons festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of hearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. I can just imagine Isaiah and and reading this and in in just almost anger and and passion and emotion. The people are not in the right frame of mind. They are going on with these sacrifices and these prayers and these rituals. 
their prayers were probably uh, heavily repetitious. And what what is this is also spoken of in Psalms where, you know, if our hearts are not right, God is not going to listen. And Isaiah is just repeating, of course, what the Lord told him. But it go, follows with that. And you can see in verse 16 and 17, the true desire from God to remove evil and to cease to do evil and learn to do good. And it notice it says learn to do good in this translation. It's something that takes time as the Lord and the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and that we seek him. Sanctification and holiness doesn't come in a day. Right. I'm sure like what you said, Isaiah was probably speaking this with a lot of anger because the people of Israel were really insulting God in the highest degree possible. So as they continued to sin, they came in apparent worship. So they gave prayers, they gave sacrifices, they followed the system without the purification that the system was intended to encourage. It was to draw them close to God and to become more like God. Just as we cling to Christ, they had the symbols of Christ to come. For them, Christ had not come yet, but the symbols were of the same Messiah that we look back to now. And the prayers that we give, we have to be careful not to be the same way. We cannot be asking for forgiveness for sin, and then in the second breath, continuing on in that same sin or other sins. He's wanting transformation. He's wanting us purified to cease from doing wickedness and to do that which is right, that which is righteous. So the lesson says, the same hands that offered sacrifices were lifted up in prayer, were full of blood that is guilty of violence and oppression of others. And also it says rituals were intended to function within the context of the covenant God had made with these people. Rituals and prayers performed there were valid only if they expressed faithfulness to him and his covenant. So just like when we come to a communion service, we bow our heads in prayer. We prepare our hearts. When we have the foot washing, we prepare our hearts. We shouldn't be doing that quarterly throughout the year. We should be doing that daily. We should not only do that at church, we should do that in our homes. We should come before him in faithfulness. We should recognize the covenant that God has made with us. We should understand that the baptism that we experienced years ago still is the living water that covers our sin and that he has raised us up out of that watery grave to live a new life with him. We weren't raised up out of that watery grave to go back to the same thing that we did, but to step forward in faith and to grow with him. We have to seek the Lord daily. We have to see our own sinfulness. I think we see this spoken of in the Bible. I think it's spoken of in Steps to Christ. We have to recognize our sinful condition and where we're going. And we must mourn for that and realize the need that we have of Christ's blood and the sacrifice, the forgiveness and the sanctification. It starts with that recognition of our sinful state and not wanting to remain in that state. Exactly. Yeah, well uh, said. Tuesday's lesson, we start uh, the argument of forgiveness. It says for us to read Isaiah 118. Uh, Isaiah 118 is a very famous verse. Probably it is underlined in many of our Bibles. 
Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. This is a great promise of redemption, of sanctification. It's an honor. And God is, you know, after calling these people Sodom and Gomorrah, and that their rulers were the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah, he is trying to reach them still. And another point I wanted to make uh, on the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, we have a remnant that's left. Why were these people not destroyed in Isaiah's day? Is because there was a small remnant. And that is why the world is not completely destroyed tomorrow, because there is a small remnant we have in the earth today. And we want to be a part of that remnant. We want to be at one with Christ and do whatever he wants us to do and seek whatever he wants out of love and out of loyalty to someone who is cleansing us from sin. Right near the end of what Isaiah was saying about turning from evil and for the prayers to be sincere and not fake. So it ends with rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Mm. So not only not doing what is wrong, but doing what is right, helping those that wrong has been done to, helping the children that have no one to turn to, helping the widow who has no one to support her, so also doing good. So the Lord is seeking to reason with his people, still seeking to get them to repent and turn from their evil ways. There was a quote. I don't remember the quote exactly, but I wanted to say, like, because we do not have any hostility toward God does not mean we're on his side. People live their lives sometimes. Oh, I, I, God's fine. Yeah, God's good. Okay, yeah, I'm a good person. I don't have any evil things. You know, I'm not, I, I, you know, this kind of attitude. You're not on God's side just from that, you know, because you don't have any, you're not angry toward God. You're not, you know, you know purposefully rebelling doesn't make us on his side. We must seek him and and truly join his army. Yeah, I have a friend years ago, He we were talking about God, and he said, I'm just going to do my thing, and then if God wants it any different, he's going he's gonna to tell me or he's going to make it happen. It uh, doesn't work like that. If, you're, if you've decided to do your own thing, then you're going your own way. He's calling us to his side. He's calling us to his path. He's calling us to walk with him. He's calling us for transformation. He's wanting that divine and intimate relationship with his created beings. If you set yourself aside into your own world, your own thoughts and ideas of what is right and wrong, he's not about to force your hand to do what he wants. But if you put your will in him, then the things that you do will be according to his guidance. And then that's a wonderful transformation internally and also externally through the mission that he engages you with. Halfway down Tuesday's lesson, it talks about your sins being as scarlet, but they shall become white as snow. And scarlet was the color that often denoted prostitutes. Mm. And the nation of Israel, many of them prostituted themselves spiritually. They committed sins. They turned from the Lord while at the same time continuing on with the sacrifices and the prayers. 
so that God felt that it was just a total abomination. Everything they did was disgusting to him because it was none of it was sincere. Yes. Let's think about for a moment here the time frame of Isaiah. We know that after Babylon and during the Ezra and Nehemiah's time up through Christ, that the destruction of Jerusalem really eliminated idol worship among the Jews. It took those many years and that kind of punishment for them to really eliminate that in their lives. And after you know Nehemiah's time and stuff, the formalism returned. And we see that formalism and the devotion to God in false ways with the Pharisees in the time of Christ. At this time in Isaiah, though, this formalism that they have is not only in the temple, but they're still worshiping idols at this time. There are many idols we see in the scriptures during these kings that Isaiah is prophesying. There were various groves and high places worshiping many different idols. This was a time of formalism in the temple and idolatry. Yeah, that's a good point. It was blatant at this time. It wasn't just uh, mild hypocrisy or the twists and turns that the Pharisees did among the people. This was outright idolatry during this time. Their sins were really as scarlet. They had prostituted themselves to evil ways. And by contrast to scarlet, the second part of that, they shall become white. And white is often considered in most places in the world as a color of purity or holiness, cleanliness. When you clean something, it's often white. I like that when it refers to snow or wool, especially in this winter season, when my wife and I, we went to the top of a a mountain a couple of weeks ago, and there was a blizzard up there, and the pure white snow lay on the ground. And I thought about this verse, that God cleanses us as white as snow. At the bottom of Tuesday's lesson, it says, His forgiveness makes it possible for them to be transformed by his power. And that's really the good news. I I always think whenever I see a good news Bible, I always think about that, that it's not only his forgiveness, but it's his indwelling spirit, too, that is transformational. He transforms us by his power. So when Christ is in us, our thoughts and our actions aligned with him, we walk forward in faith. And that's really the new covenant, that the part of stone is taken from us. What was formerly filthy rags is now alive and well in Christ. We have a part of flesh that's in tune with his spirit. That's what he wants with us. He wants to grow with us. He wants a new heart relationship. Let's go on to Wednesday's lesson. The title is To Eat or Be Eaten. Uh, Isaiah 1, 19 to 31. So this is the rest of the chapter. And uh, I'll read that. Uh, Isaiah 1, verse 19. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. She who was full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your drink diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. 
Everyone loves a bribe and chases after reward. They do not defend the orphan, nor do the widow's plea come before them. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, declares, Ah, I will be relieved of my adversaries and avenge myself uh, on my foes. I will also turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lyre and will remove all your alloy. Then I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. After that, you will be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant ones with righteousness. But transgressors and sinners will be crushed together and those who forsake the Lord will come to an end. Surely you will be ashamed of, your, of the oaks which you have desired and you will be embarrassed at the gardens which you have chosen. For you will be like an oak whose leaf fades away or as a garden that has no water the strong man will become tinder his work also a spark thus they shall both burn together and there will be none of to quench them that they are choosing the wrong path and seeking evil and destruction and that's you know what happens when god gives us up to the ruler that we've chosen we are destroyed when we have chosen evil and then God says, okay, your master you have chosen, you can have him, and then Satan destroys us. It's important to note that that destruction comes as a natural consequence of the sin starting now. Sin may be enjoyed for a season, but the destruction is always underlying, and eventually it becomes manifest, which causes us pain and suffering in this life and then the natural and then the divine consequence which is the second death so sin is a twofold destruction the natural consequence now and then the end result of us losing eternity when we sin now the consequence is not just the death that we experience from the glory of god at the second death the sin that we have now causes consequences now in our families, in our workplaces, and the sin is propagated. The sin that we see affects us, and we sin the same sins or the similar sins, affects our children and our families. Sin causes problems for us now. Right, and it's good that you mentioned propagated. It's It goes beyond the own your own self-destruction whether uh, slow or rapidly it mm. goes beyond that and it starts to move through those people around you mm -hmm. as a creeping cancer so like you said for instance if maybe someone is an alcoholic and abusive the children receive the abuse and then when they grow up if they have not had a chance to come to Christ and be healed from that damage, then they're often the ones who abuse in some way their children. They'll carry on those sins, those generational sins. And it's not a cause of God, it's a cause of the sin not being healed from that lineage. And we read about that when, when it goes to the, the blessings and the curses from Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim where it said, I, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you 
life and death, blessings and curses. So it's natural consequences with a, a, a divine end. But just like you said, that propagation, it makes it even worse. It's not your own self-destruction, but it even destroys those around you. That's the nature of sin. It spreads. You know, we need to start now purifying our hearts by prayer and supplications and, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the Beatitudes, to have the Holy Spirit cleanse us. We, that's the joy we want to be a part of. Moving ahead to Thursday, Wesley, would you please read Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, please? Oh, sure. Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. Let me sing now for my well-beloved, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved with a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewn on a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, then, I expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced worthless ones. So now, let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. This is a very nice story comparing Israel to a vineyard and God showing that this is not the earth that he envisioned. This is not the Judah he envisioned. This is not the Israel he envisioned. Very shortly, the 10 tribes of Israel will be destroyed and scattered. This reminds me of Jesus and his parable of having his vineyard and he going away on a, a trip and sending uh, servants back to get the grapes and the, the people working in the fields, you know, would harm them. And so finally he sent his son to the vineyard and we know what happens there. Yes, Christ came and he was killed by the people that he was trying to save. Save. Mm -hmm. So at the end of that reading in verse 7, uh, he gives the meaning of the parable. Um, mm -hmm. He helps the people to look at themselves objectively in order to oh. admit their true condition. And in some verses, in, instead of saying worthless grapes, it says wild grapes, uh, mm -hmm. which in Hebrew means stinking things. Uh, that <laughs> really gives a, a clear picture of what they had become. Further down on Thursday's lesson, referring to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, it talks about God and how he does not want to cut us off or destroy us. That's never his intention. He's wanting restoration. He patiently gives us an opportunity to receive forgiveness, and he appeals as long as there is hope for a response. 
But in the end, if he gets nowhere, he ultimately acknowledges our choice and lets us remain in the way that we have chosen. We should look carefully at verse 4. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? This is very important text when we think of our lives and, and how we are living our lives. And people, if anybody wants to blame God like he didn't do enough, he's saying right here, like, um, what more could I have done that I've, you know, I've given you the scriptures, you know, the prophets. What what more do you want? You know, we've had miracles. Um, how is your utopia doing? You know, since you're ignoring me as you know, you're ignoring God. So how is uh, your utopia? You know, you think you can create a world and a society of justice and righteousness without me? What more could he have done? You know, in our free will, in his love, we have free will. And in that love, he allows us to destroy ourselves. And so he's saying, what more could I have done? You're, you're living your own life. You're, you're driving yourself off a cliff. And this can't right. go on forever. Right. If, if we persistently reject God's appeals through his spirit, we can eventually pass that point of no return. Mm. And turning away from Christ is really dangerous. And we read in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, 4 to 6. There is only so much God can do because he respects our free choice. Just like you've been saying, he calls us in every way possible. He went to the most extreme lengths in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And not only to die, but to show us the way. His whole ministry showed us the way. He made it perfectly clear what the way was and asked us to walk in it. But if we choose to walk the other direction, we're free to do so. But there's a result now, and there's a result later. Let's move to Friday's lesson. There are a couple of things I'd like to read from that. This is taken from the uh, STA Bible Commentary, Volume 4, page uh, 1137. In the context of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, Ellen White wrote, The professed people of God had separated from God and had lost their wisdom, and perverted their understanding. They could not see afar off, for they had forgotten that they had been purged from their old sins. They moved restlessly and uncertainly under darkness, seeking to obliterate from their minds the memory of the freedom, assurance, and happiness of their former estate. They plunged into all kinds of presumptuous, foolhardy madness, placed upon themselves in oppression to the providences of God, and deepened the guilt that was already upon them. They listened to the charges of Satan against the divine character and represented God as devoid of mercy and forgiveness. So they compounded sin. And that's often the case with the types of sin that draw us away from further understanding or realization of the situation or realization of where we are today. So some types of sins that involve substance abuse or diving into an erotic lifestyle are meant to cover up the guilt that you feel for the sins that you already have. So if you bathe yourself in pleasure that is of itself destructive, in the short term, you forget the sins that you have. 
in the long term, you're compounding the damage that you're causing to your own life. At the end of Friday's lesson, it says, when God's people forget him and take his blessings for granted, he reminds them they are accountable to the covenant with him. Mercifully, he points out their condition, warns them about the destructive consequences of abandoning his protection, and urges them to allow him to heal and cleanse them. That's what God wants, to heal and to cleanse us from sin, to be one with him. Uh, there's one discussion question here that's interesting. What is the relationship between the forgiveness God offers and the transformation he accomplishes in our lives? Which comes first, transformation and then forgiveness or forgiveness and then transformation? Well, God calls us to him. So I believe that it is forgiveness and then transformation. I, I would agree with that. I think so. Some people, before they come to Christ, they feel that they have to get their life in order. They feel that they have to take care of the sins in their life before they are able to be accepted by Christ and be forgiven. And that's the complete opposite. Christ calls us to the cross so that we can accept the white robe of righteousness, that we can accept his life as the atoning sacrifice, the justification for our sins. We are now cleansed of our past. And then comes the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in which the Holy Spirit works in us and through us in a purifying process throughout our lives, the process of sanctification. So that's the healing and the cleansing. So we need to come to Christ first and lay our burdens down, and then he will take us along the way. Let's bow our heads for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we do not want to be as a fallen people. We don't want to be as Israel that was led astray. We don't want to come before you with symbols and rituals without our hearts being broken and our lives being changed. We want to be changed. We want healing. We want cleansing. We no longer want to live as scarlet, but we want to be purified as white snow or wool. We ask you for your spirit to live within us, to move within us each day and guide us in the way. And we ask for that pinprick upon our consciences when we may forget or may slip and fall to come back and to fall at the foot of the cross and ask for forgiveness. We thank you for that justification, that beautiful forgiveness because of your son who died on the cross for us. And we thank you for your indwelling spirit who purifies us. May we be ready for your kingdom to come. And may we be ready now to advance your kingdom. Just as sin may permeate and may go from generation to generation, we ask that your spirit may be in our hearts, live in our lives, and for us to affect our family members, our sons, our daughters, our wives, our parents, our brothers, our sisters. May we be a shining light in their life. May we be a reflection of you, that they may come to know you and to love you dearly, as their savior and friend. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. 
Thank you for listening. Please click the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Bible readings taken from the NASB are copyrighted by the Lockman Foundation.